11 weeks of madness. How many more? I don't know. All we can do is crack on and see where all of this takes us. So, this week. The last couple of weeks have been kind of heavy in a philosophical questioning reality kind of way. And this week has been no different. As I said last week, I've been focusing on the articles that surround the main headlines again to try and get a feel for what the world was like in this potentially different timeline, or reality, or whatever. In most ways, it seems to be pretty similar to what we've experienced here. Broadly speaking, world events track a similar path to ours, apart from the whole global catastrophe thing, of course, um, with the same parties were in government, broadly the same names were involved, Milk Snatcher was still Prime Minister in 1988, John Major still took over from her when she was ousted in 1990, and that actually makes looking back for differences quite hard, because I might read something and think, oh yeah, I remember this, but then realise, no, I didn't. Even though the strokes are the same, the nitty-gritty details aren't quite right. It makes it really disorientating, because sometimes I'm not sure if it's a difference or if it's me not remembering properly, you know? which means I end up having to look everything up, which takes ages. And even after that, I'm like, is this actually true? It says in this website that X held this position and did this thing, sometimes terrible, sometimes not. But then the doubts begin to set in. Like, how do we know that's actually true? We take it for granted that things are reported correctly, but recent years have been a perfect demonstration of just how twisted the facts can get when it comes to people's agendas. It's very rare, if not impossible, to find a dispassionate observer who is literally just there to record the facts. No matter what we experience, we do it through a filter of our interests and prejudices and assumptions. In a way, this podcast is kind of an exploration of memory and what it actually is and what purpose it serves. Like, yeah, I can see why remembering where the good bushes grow or where the good hunting grounds are makes sense, as does recognising and remembering people's faces. Erg is my friend, but that bastard Zog's going to get a rock to the face the next time I see him. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And obviously that's where it all started. But that doesn't explain our obsession with memory and remembering. When you really think about it, it touches everything in our lives, be it directly from learning history at school to the random lyrics of a song that was in the charts for three weeks in 1993, just popping up in your head for no reason at all. No wonder nostalgia sells so well. It itches that memory scratch, even though there is a wealth of evidence that memory itself is plastic and easily fooled. When you get older, you spend quite a lot of time thinking back, looking at your life and wondering what might have happened if you'd done X differently, even though it serves absolutely no purpose other than to make us feel a bit, well, sad. We look back at missed opportunities, at forks in our life where we suspect we might have been better off taking the other path. There's always been theories around parallel universes where you did get on that train. I mean, there's that movie Sliding Doors, which I don't remember being very good, but, you know, you know what I mean. 
and Terry Pratchett always talked about the trousers of time, which I always liked. But they were always just that. Theories. I'm now searching through piles of tangible evidence that parallel universes exist. And I won't lie, it's kind of awesome, both in the new and the classic meaning of the word. Terrifying, but still pretty cool. Well, the letters are kind of depressing, the newspaper articles are generally interesting. Where there are differences, it's like seeing the alternatives to our cultural choices being played out in real time. And it does make me wonder if there's another me out there, doing something like this with stuff from yet another world. Like, how far does it go? How many worlds are there out there? How many escaped the event? How many suffered something even worse? How many will it affect in the future? But enough of that. As you already know, I could ramble on about these things for hours. And although I know that you guys probably wouldn't mind me just reading out loads of articles so you could see the differences, I do have a reason to be here, even if I'm not quite sure how it all hangs together yet. So, as ever, bear with. So, remember way back in episode two, when I kind of explored what the sound might have been and where it might have originated from. Back from when I thought this had all happened here and we'd all somehow forgotten it. And I mentioned something called the wow signal. Just in case you don't, and remembering our little mantra, on the 15th of August 1977, in our timeline, a strong narrowband radio signal was detected by the Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Telescope by a guy called Jerry R. Amon who circled the readings and wrote wow next to them because it was, and remains, the most likely candidate for a potential extraterrestrial radio transmission. Now, this is obviously all very interesting in its own right, but I'm bringing it up again for a very specific reason. Now, be patient, because I could be adding two and two and coming up with 78,000, but that happened in 1977 in our universe. At that point, I was talking about something hypothetical. I hadn't made any connections between the newspapers I had in my possession and the different realities. I still thought I might be dealing with something that happened here, in this reality, but we didn't remember it, and was using the wow signal as an example of an extraterrestrial sound, wondering if that might be a precedent for the event itself. We have detected and recorded sounds from space, ergo the big sound that affected the planet could be extraterrestrial in origin. Little did I realise I might actually be onto something. Not so much the wow signal itself. That's obviously not mentioned in anything I found, and if it did occur, then it was potentially a good decade before everything happened. And you know, let's face it, it's far more likely that it wasn't linked to what happened in 1988. But I have found an article that mentions yet another anomalous sound that happened in April 1987, nearly a year before the event. The article itself was written in January 1991, and rather than the whole magazine being here, as with other things, this particular piece was clipped out. Whether that was part of the museum or some personal research on behalf of the individual who collected, or who is still collecting, all of this stuff, I don't know. But it does hint at a wider picture that I hadn't considered before. Namely, what was the world like before the disaster? For some reason, and perhaps rather naively, I'd always kind of imagined the years prior to 1988 as being identical to our history. But now I realise that's ridiculous. 
Of course things are different. And so we get to the article. So, like I said, it was written in January 1991, and unsurprisingly, people are still wondering what the hell happened. The museum is mentioned, also another potential reason why this article was clipped out and kept. But then I came to this bit, and I quote... When Dr Luke Walker first detected the whale in April 1987, there was a sense of palpable excitement among other astronomers. I knew I detected something unique, something special, Dr Walker said when we caught up with him. But I didn't realise it would be this significant. Obviously, in the direct aftermath of the event, most of our scientific energies were spent on trying to work out what had happened, but last year I noticed distinct similarities in the sound profiles of both the whale and the event, leading us to wonder if the two are actually linked. Upon further investigation, we were able to ascertain that the event was a far more complex picture than the whale mainly that the whale was distinctly extraterrestrial in origin, whereas the event seemed to come both from space and also somehow from the depths of a remote region of the Southern Pacific Ocean. At this point in time, we aren't particularly sure what this signifies, other than we don't think these similarities are mere coincidences. Somehow, the two sounds are linked. We just don't know how yet. Upon hearing this news, many people have come out with their own ideas, with the most controversial from Helen Vanderholm, who has rather famously declared the event a message from God. The whale was a question and the event was the answer, she said. When asked what the question might have been, she smiled rather cryptically and stated that God wanted to know if we were still listening and that the planet cried out for his help. The group that she leads, named as the Children of God's Holy Word, are currently causing a commotion after declaring that the event was just the beginning. First came the word, then the answer. Next time, God will come and we shall be ready. Many consider the Children of God's Holy World as a cult, with governments worldwide warning their citizens that Van en Vanderholm isn't in possession of any secret knowledge and that scientists worldwide are still working on solving the whereabouts of their missing loved ones. Well, that's a lot to unpack in so few words, isn't it? A scientist mentioning yet another anomalous sound, this time called rather ominously the whale. An acknowledgement of where the sound associated with the event might have originated from. We'll worry about how a sound can come from two origin points later, but, you know, progress is still progress. And, of course... A cult. Because there's always a cult. They're like weeds. Anything even vaguely anomalous happens and there's always going to be one lunatic or indeed one deeply cynical grifter ready to exploit it. But anyway, first, the whale. Obviously looking for evidence of this is like looking for a needle in a haystack given the sheer amount of information I have here. Obviously, I can't use the internet or any outside sources because the whale never occurred here in this timeline. If I could afford it, I'd pay some kind of intern, but I'm not that privileged, so you'll have to put up with the scraps I've been able to scrounge up. So, the exact date of the whale seems to be between the 6th and 8th of April 1987. Most of the snippets I've found go with the 6th, though. Uh, I think that what this means is that the actual whale itself happened on the 6th and it was probably first reported on the 8th, as in that was when Dr Walker first suggested that the whale might have been something of importance. Either way, 
we're looking at early April 1987, making it nearly a full year before the event. Now, as I've mentioned before, the whale and the event weren't initially linked. It was only after the event that scientists realised the sound profiles were similar. Sadly, I can't actually find any evidence of what they mean by that, which means making direct comparisons is really hard. But I'm sure you noticed this too. They did say that the whale was purely extraterrestrial in nature, so not necessarily evidence of alien life, just that it came from space, whereas the event was a double onslaught from both space and the Earth. Not that I like to give cults on any plane of existence any sort of credence whatsoever, but I can see why they went down the call and answer route. Because, well, that's exactly what it sounds like, pun not intended. If the whale and the event are indeed linked, then that raises some real questions about what the whale actually was. Was it a precursor event? Did it herald the arrival of the event? And if it did, why? I don't know about you, but that gives the whole thing a kind of uncomfortable sentience, if you know what I mean. Like, it it wasn't just a random burst of space gibberish, or even an accidentally captured intelligible signal. It had a purpose. And of course what that purpose was, or is, I don't know, but it does make things feel a bit more sinister. Like, there's a bigger picture here that people were unable to see, unable to understand. And the way I see it, and warning potential scary bonkers stuff ahead, something cried out in space and we detected it. Then less than a year later, it cries out again, and somehow our planet answered. And then four years after that, poof, gone. No evidence of that timeline continuing to exist, at least not that I know of. I mean, the timeline could have continued on after the person who collected all of this stuff ended up here, or or stopped collecting, or, yeah, I don't know. But it is suspicious that the museum was supposed to open on the first proper anniversary of the event, 29th February 1992, but instead all the stuff ended up being boxed up and brought here. I would have thought that if everything was fine in 1992, there would be at least evidence that the museum opened. Newspaper reports, maybe magazine puff pieces about celebrities visiting, stuff like that. Instead, everything cuts off around the end of February, which, to me at least, feels like... Well, there's no real sugarcoating it, is there? It feels like an ending, that something terrible happened on the 29th of February, 1992. Did whatever called out from the depths of space finally arrive? If you remember last week's episode, that scientist, Dr Johansson, was going on about something called the dreamer. Now, of course, I don't know exactly what that means, and a curse research this week has led me to various cultural references, religions and creation myths, which I'm probably going to look into next week, as I feel that warrants its own episode. Plus, I need a bit more time to wrap my head around all of it. I can't do it all at once, but there is this atmosphere of foreboding, I suppose, like a countdown. But a countdown to what? Ironically, I feel we have a pretty good picture of what happened in 1988. Sure, the purpose of it is still a mystery, but the physicality of it all is pretty well documented. 1992 is the complete opposite. 
Of course, this is all speculation on my part, and I can't change that, because there is literally nothing here. All I can do is try to see if there are any parallels in our world, our timeline. It's like I said last week, there are subtle differences, but the big stuff remains largely the same. And so, on that note, let's see what you all think about this. Earlier this year, in April 2023, astronomers from the University of Colorado, Boulder and Bucknell University published a paper in the Nature Astronomy Journal about potential radio signals being detected from a rocky exoplanet called YZ Seti B. This small planet is about 70% the size of the Earth and it orbits YZ Seti, which is about 12 light years away. So not that far in terms of the size of the universe, but still a very long way away, outside of our solar system. Now, I tried to read this paper and, yeah, I, I understood most of the individual words, but when you put them together, wow. Have you ever looked at something and think, I know this is in English, but what? Yeah. That's exactly how I felt looking at this paper. There were graphs and diagrams and numbers. Lots and lots of numbers. But luckily, after doing a little bit more searching, I also found some nice little summaries of their findings on various popular science websites, which summarised everything in layman's terms, which was nice. So, in a nutshell... These astronomers from the aforementioned universities noticed strong radio waves emanating from YZ City B. They used the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array in New Mexico, which, as an aside, has to be the best name ever for something like this. You know, say what you see, folks, say what you see. But anyway, they used this Very Large Array, which is an observatory that is dedicated to detecting radio waves from space. Yeah try saying that fast three times out loud um and please don't shoot me if i've got that wrong i'm sure it does much more than that but for the purposes of this all we really need to know is that this this kind of phenomena is exactly what it's designed to pick up so yeah back back on topic sorry brain is kind of buzzing but but yeah They used it to detect the signals and they believe that it indicates the presence of a magnetic field around YZ Seti B. Now, this is important because a magnetic field means the planet might be habitable, which means there might be something out there. Maybe something is trying to communicate with us. I mean, probably not. It's still just radio waves, but I can't help but compare it to the whale. There are differences, of course. I couldn't find any evidence that the whale came from a particular place. It just said that it was detected, which could make all of this a huge coincidence. Looking into radio waves in space, there are, to put it bluntly, loads. Lots of data that we don't hear about because it's it's not really of any interest to anyone outside of the discipline, outside of astronomy. The signal earlier this year only garnered the interest of the wider press because it could be framed as an alien story. And I won't lie, when I first heard about it, I did think it was going to be something more specific, not just that it indicates that there is another planet with a magnetic field similar to Earth's. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but it's not a great big loud hello from YZ City B. But, and this is the potentially scary bit, it did occur early April this year. 
and next year is a leap year. I don't think I need to draw a diagram for you. The potential parallels are unnerving. Like I said, this could be and probably is nothing more than a coincidence. But I can't help but wonder, was the signal that was detected in April our whale? It was different enough that it got picked up by non-specialist publications as something worth reporting on. Of course, yeah, I know, I've already said it, alien cell, we all know that, but I am potentially in possession of information that no one else has. Is history about to repeat itself? Well, maybe not history because it's not our history, but you know what I mean. Is it going to happen again? I said earlier that there are potentially infinite numbers of alternate universes and each one plays out all the different choices that we make. The potential is there. And then there's what Dr Johansson said about his experience at the North Pole. The dreamer at the centre of it all will continue to spread the gospel of entropy as he slumbers. It is his will that he creates and so with his awakening everything dies. And with each awakening, those places cease to be with only the saved to serve in his eternal choir that both lull him and rouse him, while his agent of crawling chaos heralds his arrival across all time and space and everything and everyone, and there is no escape in the place where time means nothing. It could all just be gibberish. But what if it isn't? What? If the dreamer is coming? What if the whale is its agent, its crawling chaos? Or maybe the event is the crawling chaos? Or, or, or whatever it was that answers from our planet? Is this alien entity, dare I say it, God, on its way here? Are we the next in line for a so-called awakening? Now, I know how all this sounds. I know all of this makes me sound like a mad woman. But I won't lie, I am suddenly feeling a little afraid for the future. I feel like a... I feel like a doomsday prophet now. Am I Cassandra, cursed by Apollo, or just chicken licking running around telling everyone the sky is falling down? I don't even have the luxury of convincing myself that this is all fiction anymore. I try to. Try to tell myself that I'm being messed with, that none of this is real, that none of this can be real. But there's a knot deep in my chest that tells me different. It could be that this is not our version of the whale. It could literally just be astronomers doing their jobs. Our technology is far ahead of what we, or should I say what they had in 1988. Our instruments are more sensitive. Our understanding of how our universe works is greater so it could all be nothing, and I am chicken licking after all. And, and you know what? I'd be absolutely fine with that. But if I'm not, oh, what can I do? I can't prevent it. Who would listen to me? Who would... <sighs> Look, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to end it here. This is... I'm okay. I, I'll look more into this dreamer again and 
try to make sense of all of this, even if that's you know, possible. I don't know anymore. Museum of the Missing is written, performed and produced by Claire Waller. The title song, Museum of the Missing, was written by David Rizal and is performed by David Rizal and Claire Rizal. It is used with permission. If you're enjoying the story, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact details and social media links are in the show notes. If you wish, you may also buy the podcast a coffee at Museum of the Missing. Thank you for listening. About memories wiped away About time that's gone astray It's the horror of the age